It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. Hi, everyone. Glad to have you back. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing the topic of homosexuality. In today's world, it is growing rampant, and we are excited to discuss this topic with someone who has struggled with same-sex attraction for 25 years and is now set free from this lifestyle. He has a powerful testimony. He is the author of the book, From Queer to Christ, My Journey into the Light. You can find this book on Amazon or his website at georgecarneal.com. And I'll spell that last name. It's uh, C-A-R-N-E-A-L. Um, we would just love to welcome our special guest, Mr. George Carneal. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to share our personal testimonies with you guys. Um, we're going to start with Stephanie. Stephanie, would you like to share your experiences with uh, homosexuality? Sure, Michelle, thank you. Um, yeah, we just felt it would be great to have us all get a little vulnerable right at the top of the show. And, you know, like Michelle said, this topic is just something that has uh, really become popular in our culture and society these days. And we've all been touched by it in different ways. I can say that homosexuality really hit home for me when I was in college. I remember my mother calling me and asking me to go to dinner with her. And she said to me, hey, Steph, I need to tell you something. And at dinner that night, she told me that my father and her were going to be divorcing because my father came out as being gay. And that was a really big shock to me because there was nothing about my father that um, made any of us think that he was homosexual. And so I remember just it was like a slap in the face when I heard that. Now at the time, you know, I didn't think there was anything necessarily wrong with being homosexual. I just that for my dad to be gay was just very odd to me. Years later, my brother then came out and he announced to me, I was the first person in the family that he told that he was homosexual. And what was shocking about that is that he was engaged to a beautiful girl for uh, about six months, and they had dated for about two years. And he told me that he broke off the engagement and that he was living with a man. And that was also shocking. My brother is now married to a man. So this topic is very close to home for me. Um, growing up, I had homosexuals around me all the time. I worked for women who were gay. Um, I had homosexual roommates. Best friends were homosexual. One of my really good friends was my maid of honor. So I was probably one of a handful of straight women who have a gay man as their maid of honor. But, you know, he was my best friend at the time. And so flash forward to when I became a Christian and began to follow Jesus Christ, I lost two of my very good friends who were gay at that time. And that that person that I said was my maid of honor stopped talking to me because of my faith. And I experienced, uh, you know, like reverse discrimination. And I just found that really interesting. You know, when I look back at the time when my father came out and my brother came out, 
both of them had privately taken me aside and asked me the same question. And they said, Stephanie, do you think that God is okay with me being gay? My father asked that question of me and my brother asked that question of me. And at the time, because I was not saved at that time, my answer to them was, yes, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you're born that way. If this is how God made you, then the best thing you can do is accept who you are and I love you. And if this is what makes you happy, then so be it. And, you know, that was my advice to both of them at that time. And what I have found interesting in my own personal journey is that it wasn't until I began to read the Bible that I began to learn that God's take on homosexuality is very different than what I thought it was. For those who have read the Bible before, we know that the scriptures teach that it is an abomination, that lifestyle is an abomination before God. And so, you know, I did have an opportunity to share that with both my dad and my brother um, after learning that myself, because I felt that the most loving thing I can do for them was to share, you know, what I was learning to be the truth. And so uh, my father did eventually come to Christ, and he is now struggling a lot with, you know, what that means for him um, coming out of that lifestyle. And my brother is is not yet there, but I would just say that that's kind of an overview of of my testimony and experience with this lifestyle, you know, it hits very close to home for me. And uh, I just think, especially as Christians, we have to be very sensitive to how we speak to this community. So um, I'm really excited to kind of hear a little bit more about the rest of your stories. So Cheryl, do you want to kind of go next and share, share your, your experiences? Sure. Um, Just a reminder. Reminder for everyone, I'm the unbeliever of the group. And um, just like Stephanie, I had gay friends growing up. I mean, they were all around and nothing, didn't see anything strange about that. Um, They all seemed happy to me. Um, In fact, I think that's why it, maybe that's why I always kind of thought, oh, you know, they're born that way and it's, it's all good and it's all love and who cares because I actually never experienced anyone struggling with it. Um, You know, they may have struggled with outside struggles like being treated differently or, or being discriminated against, but I mean, they weren't internally struggling, at least not letting anyone know they were internally struggling. Most of them were always like, I love this. This is who I am. And I was like, great. You know, (laughs) um, Two of my best friends were two gay guys that I'd go dancing with every Saturday night. And, you know, I just, I loved it. And I probably only started to move away from gay friends because I started to realize, well, this is not going to get me a boyfriend, (laughs) a heterosexual boyfriend. So I'm in the wrong place, you know. Um, But other than that, I, I really just, it just never had any kind of like negative connotation near me or, um, any issues with it. So I always just kind of thought born that way. And, um, and I do get that perhaps it's not a genetic born that way. I mean, it, it it could just be, you know, a kind of general generational pass down or, or a pre, um, what's the word 
pre uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Predisposition? Predisposition. Like, <laughs> perhaps it's just a predisposition, just like the rest of us might have, you know, that with addiction or something else. So um, never really thought much about it. Um, I, I, too, myself, back in my 20s would dabble with it, um, you know, playing around with girls and stuff. But I think that was more of a, it's, you know, in, in that I don't know, in your 20s when you're dancing, it just looks hot and, you know, because I, I don't, I didn't feel anything about it. So, um, so I was clear with my heterosexuality at that time. Um, but that's really it. I, I don't have anything really profound to add with, with it, but that's my story. How about you, Michelle? Alrighty. <laughs> um, well, with me, I, you know, I was growing up in the seventies Well, I grew up in the seventies and, um, you know, back then it was definitely taboo. You don't really, you know, everybody was in the closet, I guess. And, um, so I, and I was young, so I, and I have a cousin that's gay and I just remember, you know, my family like talking about it and it was like this hush hush thing. And, um, so for me, I, you know, it, I guess I, had kind of confusion back then because I was such a tomboy and I, and I loved boys and I loved, I wanted to look like a boy. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to Stephanie a little earlier and it's like, if I grew up today, I wonder how things would have turned out because I know, like I said, I was fascinated with boys and, um, I liked them. I had crushes on them, but I wanted to be a boy. And I even asked my parents, you know, I was like eight, nine years old, maybe even 10. And I was like, can I be a boy? I was like, how, you know, that's what I want for Christmas. For Christmas, I would like to be a boy. And, um, and they ignored me, you know, which was probably good. They didn't, they didn't, you know, uh, encourage it. They didn't, um, they just ignored it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just kind of just, I guess, tomboyish, I guess. And, um, and then growing up, you know, I, I've had issues, you know, growing up with my, with like mother issues, you know, I felt rejected. Uh, my mom was very mean to me growing up. And um, so I, I never had like a mother figure. And, and I know growing up, I, as I got older and I was a teenager and I would hear of, you know, somebody being a lesbian, it fascinated me. It fascinated me because I, you know, wanted a woman to be attracted to me. You know, I wanted, I wanted that, like, what, what would it be like to have a woman you know, like cuddle me or something, you know what I mean? Like that's something that I kind of in the back of my mind always had, you know, but, I, but it, thank goodness, you know, well, thank God, you know, he protected me from, I guess, falling into that because, you know, I, I guess like if it was today, you know, who knows? Um, I will say though, to as today goes, I still have that fascination. I still, I'm married. I have two kids. I love my husband, but I, um, I still have that wound, that mother wound that mm. hasn't been filled yet. And, you know, and, and I can't get it from a man for some reason. It's like, my husband loves me, you know, he, you know, whatever we can cuddle and all that, but it's just, it's different. It's like, I'm looking for it from a woman and, mm. and what, what that looks like, you know, and then I, I, I go to a therapist, you know, and I ask the therapist, I was like, am I a lesbian? Like, you know, I, I, I'm like, what is it that I'm, but it is, it's because of that wound that I have. And, um, cause I'm not sexually attracted to a woman. It's just that I want to have that affection from a woman in like a motherly kind of way. And, um, so yeah, so I mean, it's, uh, and also my stance for many years was that 
they gay people were born that way. I, I, I was firm on it. And I was a Christ follower. You know, I, I'm learning a lot now, but that's why I'm the in-betweener. <laughs> I'm the in-betweener of the group because I am a saved Christian, but <clears throat> I still have a lot of questions and some doubt. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I struggle with the fact that, you know, I see little kids and they're very feminine. You know, I see, may see a boy who's very feminine and I'm like, but, and he likes girl things and he likes other boys. And it's like, but how could that be? How could, he's a little child. He's never been exposed to anything. So for me, I've always been like, that's how they were born. And, um, and mm. I know that it's, I know that, you know, biblically they're not. So that's why I'm really, I'm, I'm fascinated by having the special guest today, George, because, you know, you're somebody that I've never met. I've never met somebody who was, um, living that lifestyle and now is has changed i've i've never met somebody like that so i really am curious to know how that happens you know and can it happen so you're mm. you know, i'm very happy that you're on the show so thank you and i guess that's my story <laughs> that's it thank yeah yeah thanks michelle yeah. yeah so um george um this might be a great time for you to to share your story um you know, we know that you had same-sex attraction at a very early age. So would you like to kind of share your story? First of all, Stephanie, my sister, yeah. when she got married, she also had me as her maid of honor. So you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Because I was very close to my sister and I love her to death. Amen. <laughs> and Michelle, to you, I also grew up in the 70s and you're right, it was taboo. And you're really, your story, just listening to it really made me sad because I understand that you want that mothering, mm -hmm. nurturing kind of thing. And I was deficient in that as well, because mm -hmm. in my story of having a father who's a Baptist minister growing up and not getting the attention from him that I felt I really mm -hmm. needed because he was so busy with his ministry right. and because the ministry didn't pay a lot, he had to work several part-time jobs just to keep the family going. So there was already a disconnect there. And then going to school, there was a disconnect with my male peers. They rejected me. Right. So like you, I really struggled with this desire to be held and loved and affirmed by males and by men. And I understand your struggle so much. For me, I never had that desire for women because I was smothered by the females in my life, I had so much love from my female friends and girl, girls at school. You know, they, they were very inclusive. And my sister and my mother and even my maternal grandmother, they just poured love into me and I was so close to them. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have had a lot of mothering and, or, yeah. or, or female nurturing and love. So mm -hmm. no deficiency in that area. But mm -hmm. as for me growing up, it was difficult trying to understand in the 70s what it was like to struggle with something I didn't ask for and I didn't know where it came from. And so when I have boys calling me sissy and faggot and queer and queer bait and homo, mm -hmm. I didn't even understand what those words meant. I was so young. And when I finally figured out what it meant, it was very confusing to me because I didn't understand how were they able to identify something about me that I have yet to come to terms with myself. And this was very confusing. Mm. And of course, we didn't have the internet. And I certainly wouldn't have gone or even thought to have gone to a library and looked up the subject of homosexuality for fear of someone seeing me. Yeah. And in addition to that pain of going to church and hearing really mean-spirited Christians at times, not all, I'm generalizing, but there are some um, 
who really made derogatory remarks about faggots and homosexuals and sodomites and perverts mm -hmm. and some who would want to physically harm them. And it was even at that time very dangerous to come out in America because many had been harassed, had their lives destroyed, or they'd been murdered. So I lived in a lot of fear and didn't know who I could trust. And I certainly could, couldn't go to my parents and say that they were calling me these names because my fear was that my parents would start to ask questions. Well, then are you having these desires? Do you think you are a homosexual? Mm -hmm. And I certainly had no idea how my father being a pastor would respond. Mm -hmm. And on top of that pain, listening to sermons on Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. as a child, unable to process God's love and that his issue has to do with sin, the sin of homosexuals and heterosexuals, but that he didn't have an axe to grind with homosexuals. Mm -hmm. As a child, I internalized it as God hates fags because that's what Christians had said. He created AIDS to kill the homosexuals. He destroyed these two cities because of the Sodomites. And I felt no hope. And I couldn't understand, then why? Then God must really hate me, yet I didn't ask for this. And it was a while before I had even acted on these feelings. I had experimented with a boy in my church, and we were about around fourth and fifth grade. But my true first homosexual experience was with a guy once I graduated from high school, and I met him in a nearby town. But mm -hmm. there was something about it that felt right. But I will tell you, when... Shortly after that, my father was called to pastor a church in Florida. So we moved from Tennessee to Florida. The first time I found a gay man and we walked into a gay bar, I became addicted to that life because mm. for the first time I was in an environment where men were treating me differently. It wasn't the right kind of attention I needed at that time. Obviously, I wouldn't know it because I was young and dumb, but <laughs> I, it was so nice to be in an environment where I felt like I had family. It was an extended family and friends who accepted me and I belonged. Mm. That was great. Yeah. But the downside to that is that in the gay lifestyle, it is fraught with the whole, all of the addictions, the drugs, the alcohol, pornography. And I eventually not only battled all of that, but I had a sex addiction. And within three years of going into that life, leading a pretty vanilla life, I might've had a beer here and there or maybe smoked a joint, but, by that time, I'd already gotten involved in cocaine and shooting up and just a bunch of other stuff, but I became a prostitute. I was struggling mm. with severe depression, and I eventually attempted suicide at the age of 21. Mm. But it would be another 22 years before God would fully get my attention and help get me out of that life. And so, I mean, you guys can ask further questions if you would like, but that's pretty much a general overview of what it was like to be in that life. And why I wrote the book was to really share, you know, the reality of that life because Hollywood and the liberal media, they give a very mm. sanitized version mm. or, uh, uh, yeah, of that life. But I, and so many of us who are coming out of that life are sharing the true reality of that life and the pitfalls and the casualties from murder, drugs, uh, overdoses, suicide, AIDS. Um, I'm just trying to sound the alarm to the young individuals in that, you may feel that this is a grand gay old life. The sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the partying and dancing, it's good for a season. But yeah. at some point, how much sex and drugs and alcohol can you do before you say to yourself, wait, this isn't filling a void. Yeah. This is not taking away the pain. I'm still having to go home and face my demons. And I'm mm -hmm. still dealing with this. And that's where the depression and the suicidal thoughts really ramped up. And I struggled so much with, I, I struggled with suicidal thoughts as much as I thought about uh, what am I going to wear today or what am I going to eat? 
So it was just a really a painful life. But after 25 years of that misery and what I tried to expose in my book, um, thankfully God was gracious and patient and I am where I am today. And I expose those lies and, and take all of those talking points and debunk them in the book. Amen. You know, George, wow. as you're saying that, what, what's coming to my mind is um, my father had said to me that the the first time he went into a gay bar and he began to speak to the, the men there, it, for the first time in his life, he felt connected, like connected to someone. Yes. And that was something that the way he shared it with me was he, he didn't have that kind of connection with my mother or he didn't feel that connection with my mother, but he felt that with these men at the bar, he felt seen, he felt heard for the first time in his life. And it's interesting because I'm kind of hearing that as like a theme here where it's like craving same sex intimacy and not having that at an early age and then kind of projecting that uh, maybe, you know, through same sex attraction. Um, I I can see that even with my dad, same thing, you know, Yeah, and I was going to say, with regard to Michelle sharing her story, you know, society is much more open to women being affectionate. Yeah. At least Michelle could go up to a woman and get a hug or hold her hand or just, you know, you love on each other as friends and no one will bat an eye. Mm-hmm. But men are taught you don't uh, hug. You're not touchy-feely. You don't show your emotions. And so I, I, I found that perhaps women had it much easier who were struggling with the same sex attraction because at least somewhere they could still have these female relationships and these right. this bonding because women are very relational. But whereas with guys, sadly in the gay community and in the seventies, because it was so frowned upon and there weren't dating websites and you couldn't just find somebody and go to dinner. It was usually a quick hookup. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the sex had to become part of the equation in the bigger picture of me so desperately wanting to just feel valued and held and loved by a man. And that's why sex became addicting because I couldn't understand this is something deeper because there was an, there was uh, there are deeper issues and trauma and the bullying and everything that I've gone through that guy was eventually going to have to give the healing in order for me to have the strength to walk out of that life. And so my message is, is regardless of whatever bondage any of us are in, it could be a food addiction, a shopping addiction, drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex, whatever it is, same sex attraction. Yep. At the root core issues, once God gets a hold of you, if you surrender your life to Christ and let the Holy Spirit start working, you're going to see a change. It will be slow, but there is hope. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. Yeah. And that's, yeah. A, that, that's like what I'm, I'm, looking for now, you know, it's like, you know, I, I did surrender to the Lord, but I don't know if I've truly, truly, really gave um, my heart like fully to have him work because I still have that craving. And I know that it's, it is a slow process. And I know that, um, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for, for it. I'm patiently waiting, but, uh, but yeah, the, I agree with everything you're saying. Cause it's, first of all, like it's guys, my husband, like when I would tell him, look, you know, I think that woman's attractive. He'd be like, Oh, that's great. You know, he would love it if I brought a woman home, you know, men are that way, you yeah. know, it's it. So I know what you're saying as far as it's easier for women because of the fact that men love that or they like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm curious to know how God got a hold of your heart. You know, how did, how did that, what did that look like? Cause I know it's, it's, taking me a long time because I have a lot of deep wounds in my heart that is still very, very hard. My heart 
is not open fully. And I feel like I've given God, I've surrendered to him, but I feel like I've only given him just a little bit of my heart, which I know faith is, you know, the size of a mustard seed. You're, you're, you're saved, you're fine, but it's just, I haven't fully let him, or I shouldn't say let him. I think that it's for me, he, it's a slow process because my heart would explode, but I've had a lot of trauma and a lot of um, rejection from my own mother, my own family, you know, kids and everything like that. I'm still in pain, you know, all these years. And I never knew I've dealt with, I've had severe anxiety. Um, I've had panic attacks. I've had um, depression, um, you know, and, I have a hard time with intimacy with my husband. Even now I'm, I'm married with, I'm with him 30 years, married 25 and I'm still, I, I'm not having, I am being open and honest right now. It's really yeah. hard because my son is going to be editing. Hopefully not <laughs> uh, anyway, but it's hard because I'm, I'm not fully intimate with my husband the way God wants me to be. I'm still not uh, healed in that, in my, in my heart in that way. Cause it's, it's just, yeah. So I, I'm really curious to know how God did that to you because I'm still, you know, there's hope, like you're saying, there's hope. So. Well, Michelle, may I say this? I really appreciate you being honest and open because there are women and men out there who are going to be listening to this, hopefully, and they're going to be able to relate. And if we're not going to be completely honest here, there's no point in doing this right, dialogue. Right. Because Absolutely. people need to, I'm tired of the fake candy, cotton candy Christianity. Yep. Yeah, I'm not going to present to you that I'm perfect and wonderful. I still have my struggles. The uh, this grip that homosexuality had on me has been taken away. It doesn't mean at night that I sometimes don't get lonely and wish I could lie down with a guy and just be held Mm -hmm. to know that I matter to someone. And but when I have those temporary moments of feeling that way, I remind myself Jesus was single and he was celibate. And we know what he went through and he was able to endure it. And there was nothing deficient about him. And I tell myself, I may temporarily go through this very difficult time of struggling with this until perhaps the Lord, maybe he will one day change my feelings for a woman. But if not, I look at the eternal picture and Michelle, I just want you to know this is going to end soon and we're not going to have to deal with this any longer. Yes. And that is the beauty. So I encourage you to stay strong and mm-hmm. just, and just keep fighting the good fight and, and stay on the path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. yeah. Uh, on the heels of what you guys are talking about, George, can you kind of shed some light for us on what that turning point was for you? I mean, here you are, really deep into this lifestyle what was it that caught your attention like how did god get your attention while you're so deep entrenched in this lifestyle like what was it what was that turning point well i want to say to cheryl or anyone who's an unbeliever there's something i would like for you to know about me i'm not a mindless sheep i think for myself yeah i've made a lot of stupid decisions and made some poor choices in my life but when things don't seem right i question everything And I am a person who hungers for truth, no matter how painful it is. And when I found that I felt this rejection from Christians as a whole, again, there are so many Christians who truly have the heart of Christ. And I am where I am today because of them still loving me and pouring love into me and telling me the truth of God's word. But when I was in that life, I delved into Hinduism and the New Age movement and the occult because I was so desperate to try to find something beyond Christianity. 
to try to find some, to find this bigger meaning of life. And in studying these world religions, God even revealed to me the holes in them and how they made no sense. And I'll give just a quick example. When I was in Hinduism, Sure, they would talk about Jesus, and they thought of him as a great prophet, but they saw him on an equal playing field as other gurus and yogis and what have you. And then in the New Age movement, they will give you this line that um, God is everywhere, God is in us, God is in me, so therefore I am God. And you get this whole line of stuff that Shirley MacLaine will say. And But I couldn't understand, well, if God, why is it power to change my life to be happy? How come I can't walk on water like Jesus if I'm God? Why is it that I'm still miserable and depressed? And even in the occult realm, it wasn't that I was, I was thinking, well, maybe Satan is going to impart information that God didn't want him to impart. Maybe he was going to spill some secrets on Mm -hmm. God and heaven. And me being nosy, I was all about trying to find it out. Mm -hmm. But it was really more about how to manipulate events to, to yep. your way and opening yourselves up to what you feel are spirit guides, but they are really demons. Yep. Little did I know I was opening myself up to a lot of demonic activity. But the real kicker for me was this constant thing that would be brought up called reincarnation. Yep. And as miserable as my life was, these people would tell me with such glee in their voices, oh, you get to come back and do this over and over and over and over and over again until you get it right. And on top of that, you don't have the knowledge of the mistakes of your past lives in order to avoid repeating them, but hopefully you make better choices and decisions to eventually become enlightened, or as they say in Buddhism, nirvana, or you reach moksha, as they say in Hinduism. And that was so depressing to me to think that I've got to come back and do this over and over again. I just wanted to jump in front of a moving 18 wheeler. Right. <laughs> so Great. they need a new selling. Appealing. Yeah, they need a new selling point with that garbage. So I was <laughs> done with it. And I looked over and I realized here is Jesus who has died on the cross. He's done the work for us. And I don't have to come back and do this life again. And God declares that once you die, then there's the judgment. And then there's eternal life. Whereas I've got to work to become perfect which we know none of us will ever attain. And I found the world religions more enslaving than what some people have accused Christianity of being. And I want Cheryl and others to know that I am a person where if by this time in my life, God had not shown himself in some way and had not worked in my life, I would have rejected Christianity and I probably would be an atheist by now. But I'll tell you, one night when I was around 20 years old, I was in Fort Lauderdale and I was getting ready to walk into a gay bar and I had friends all around me and I wasn't even in church. My parents had moved to Kentucky. I had no godly influence. I hated Christians. As far as I was concerned, I was done with all of it. And as I was walking into this gay bar, God turned the volume of everything down around me and actually said to me in my ear, if you were to die tonight, would you go to hell? And it stopped me in my tracks. It was that powerful. And I knew God was speaking to me. But I thank God that he didn't take my life that night because I not only dismissed his voice, I walked on into that gay bar and I spent, again, another 22 or so years in that life. But God, I, have, I can look back now on my journey and I can see where I should have been dead by the situations that I was in. And I was in some frightening situations, but God 
protected me and covered me because I believe when I truly gave my life to Christ at seven years of age, and I may not have known much, but I believed in Jesus and that was settled within me. I believe God's hand was on me because of Christians and my own parents who were praying for me. And so, um, to answer your question, Stephanie, when I was at the 25 year mark in that life and sitting in gay bars and looking at old men, realizing this is going to be my destiny because these old men are not desired in a youth oriented culture of the gay community. Once your looks fade and your body falls apart, you are used damaged goods and you have no value. And I realized just like this women is, over 40. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's why I knew if I don't change something about this now, this is going to be my destiny. And I wasn't even sure that God was going to be part of the equation. I just knew this is not working for me. After 25 years, how much sex and drugs and alcohol and partying can you do? Mm-hmm. And I have, and I wasn't seeing stable relationships within the gay community. A lot of the men who were in relationships had open relationships. They would sometimes invite me into that. And I thought nobody is monogamous or committed. I was seeing women, straight women I knew who were sleeping around on their husbands and their fiancés and boyfriends and the men I knew who were having affairs as well. And I thought nobody is faithful anymore. And I was really starting to become cynical about it. And I just, there was something in me that was so hungry for something more. I did a complete 180 and turned my back on that life. And Mm. I started to go back to a Bible study that was teaching in Genesis. And I believe God used that to slowly get my feet immersed back into the world of Christians because I hated Christians. And I was, to me, the church was the lion's den, but Mm. thank God, God really put some wonderful loving Christians with the heart of Christ. And they loved me and they poured love into me and they were patient with me as God continue to work in my life and to eventually start to expose the lies. Amen. Wow. Wow. It's, it's interesting. You said it's fun. Not that it's funny, but um, when I uh, went to Bible study years ago, I want to say 13 years ago, that was the question God didn't ask me, but then again, I guess God used somebody, but that was the same question. Somebody asked me at a Bible study. She said, if you were to die today, do you know if you're going to heaven? And, uh, and I was like, I don't know. I was like, I think so. I'm a good person. You know, I go to church every Sunday. So that was like my question too. So I gave my heart to Christ right then and there because I was like, Oh, I'm scared. You know, I need to do that. But yeah. Yeah. And God has graciously on YouTube, you will find several atheist near death experience testimonies of where they did go to hell. Yeah. And they're not out there trying to do fear mongering. They are absolutely telling you, I had no belief in God or the afterlife. I'm a scientist. I'm, I've got to have proof. And they'd give all of their reasons why they had that stance. Yeah. But once they took their last breath, thank God he graciously allowed some or a remnant to live and come back and warn about the horrors of such a place. And they will tell you in that knowledge of knowing that they were there because of their rejection of Christ, they didn't come back and give their life to Krishna or Muhammad or Buddha or all the Hindu gods. They gave their life to Christ and they are out there sounding the alarm because there is an afterlife and heaven and hell are real. And I just encourage people don't believe us, go find out the truth for yourself. It's out there. That's right. Yeah, George, and, and as you and I have shared offline before too, you know, I, I came out of the occult and the new age as well. So everything you were sharing about that, I can completely relate to. And, and plus, I, I have a cult in my family line. You know, my grandmother later in life shared with me that she used to play with the Ouija board with me when I was a child, you know, so it was, 
you know, the Holy Spirit showed me later that that was in my family line. And um, so I, I was heavily into the occult. Like, like you're saying, I was, I bought the reincarnation lie hook, line and sinker. Um, and I was so into manifestation and uh, I was working with a shaman and, you know, really off the wall with it. And, uh, and then, you know, Jesus, uh, I had an encounter one day. Um, I was not looking for Christ. I, uh, was very much against Christianity. Like, like you were at that time. And I was reading a book by, um, uh, was it Deborah Brown? I think it is. And she, it's called, uh, he came to set the captives free. And while I was reading that book, she talks about Jesus. And as I was reading over the words of Jesus, it was like a download. I just had this awareness just opened up in my mind and it instantly I knew that I was a sinner. And as you know, in the new age, we don't believe in sin. New agers do not believe in the concept of sin. So all of this was so foreign to me. It was so outside of my paradigm, but instantly it was like, you're a sinner. Heaven and hell are real. Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. He came, he died for your sins. He rose again. And without him, you're going to hell. And it was, but it was like all of this information was just downloaded into me. And I fell on my knees and I knew without a doubt, holy cow, Jesus is, this is not religion. This is the truth. Because like you, I always had a hunger for knowing the truth, regardless of what that meant. Never in a million years that I ever think that it meant Jesus Christ. (laughs) Um, And you know, after that, I gave my life to Christ, ran out to Barnes and Noble, got a Bible, started reading it. And the Lord has been working on me ever since. And, um, you know, the Bible says that we are to renew our minds every day with the word. And I can tell you that the Lord has been and continues to renew my mind because there's a lot of things that I, uh, my mind needed renewing on. And uh, homosexuality was, I guess, just one of them because I never knew that that was a sin in God's eyes, you know. Um, but I can really relate to your story when you talk about that, George. <laughs> I have a quick question, George. Um, did you, like, I, I know you said when you were younger, you, like at seven, you kind of felt like you were different. Did, is that when you first, was it something that you felt was different? Did you, was it the fact, like how young were you? Was it, was it that age? And like, what was the, try to think, like, did you see a boy and you were like, oh, I, identify with him in that in that kind of way like you, you wanted to kind of have a um I don't know like I, I I remember being in kindergarten or pre-k I had my uncle he was the same age as me and he was in my class and I thought it was cute I thought all boys were cute um so like did you think that way too like did you see a boy and think he was cute or like what was you, like was it a something that you think that maybe you had when you were very, very young, did you want to play with girl clothes and things like that? Did you, were you attracted to, because me, for me, I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to dress like a boy. Did you want to dress like a girl? Like, you know what I mean? Like how young was that? Yes. And that brings up a point that you made earlier that I would like to address, but I was in first grade and I remember looking at a little blonde girl who had the pigtails and and I thought she was adorable. Mm -hmm. There was also a brown haired boy who was in my class that I really had a strong attraction Mm -hmm. toward but the attraction toward him was a different kind of feeling than the girl. I just thought she was cute. And I can still look at women today and think, wow, you know, she's beautiful or pretty or I like her haircut, whatever. But um, yes, I did eventually start 
you know, trying to play dress up in secret in my room and I'd put on my grandmother's earrings and, and try to carry a purse or walk in my mom's candies, high heel shoes, as some mm -hmm. of you may remember. So I did experiment, but I am so thankful like you, when you wanted to be a boy that I grew up in the seventies, because if you and I were growing up in today's society, oh, yeah. someone would hear that and they would immediately start trying to program our minds and convincing yeah. us, well, then you really are a boy and that I'm really a girl. Yep. And yep. I have to tell you, that's what really ticks me off about the LGBT agenda. And it's for this reason, because when I moved into my preteen years, I really yeah. had this strong desire to want to be a girl because I thought if I'm a girl, then I can love boys and then God won't be mad at me and he won't mm -hmm. hate me. Mm -hmm. But thank God as I kind of transitioned and, and, tra and treaded those waters and, and, you know, tread those waters and, and got on into the gay bar. Well, then all of that, those feelings left me because now I was getting the attention I needed from men. Mm -hmm. So thank God I didn't live in today's society because I would regret the transition as so many transgenders are coming out and stating. And I have trans former transgender friends, male and female, who are sharing the horrors of that. So like you, I'm really glad that we had a chance to kind of work this out without the influence of the agenda that's going mm -hmm. on today. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's tough. That's why I was saying it was, it's so rampant. I mean, it's, I can't even believe like, you know, I heard, I haven't seen it, but I, I've heard that um, in, in like kindergarten, like they're even having books, you know, dad and dad or mom and mom that like they're programming them so young, even in school, like public schools, they're doing this. Is that true? I, I, yes. They're also teaching about anal sex and masturbation. Wow, okay. sex. They're yes, they're absolutely doing it. Wow. And just so you'll know the horror of what's really going on. Um, I know that in Finland, I believe it was, and I know in the UK and in Canada, if your kids want to transition and you disagree, they will remove the kids from the home. Wow. In the UK, they will arrest the parents. Oh, wow. Trudeau had recently passed a law where they've lowered the consent for anal sex down to 16. If you say anything about against the LGBT community, you can be arrested for a hate crime. Or if you speak against Islam, you can be arrested mm -hmm. for a hate crime. But it's okay to disparage Christians yeah. and, to, wow. and to talk about them. The sad thing is that it is moving into America. I know that in some of the day, the preschool or the daycare centers, you can't say boys and girls any longer because you don't want to offend anyone. They are absolutely programming these children at an early age and their lives and their minds are being destroyed. Mm. No kid under eight. Look, we all, if we're honest, when we were 18, we could look back and say, you know, I was pretty stupid. Okay. Mm. Why should a seven, 10, 12, 14 year old be allowed to make a decision that I want to take hormone blockers and change my sex, right. which you can't. And if you knew the horror stories that I've heard and that I know about of transgenders who have tried to change their sex, the medical community is lying. Hollywood is, is just pushing the agenda and they're trying to right. raise up these I am jazz people to make it look mm. like it's great. Yep. But when you actually hear the horror stories of what people have gone through as a result of it, it would horrify you. And it saddens me that they are going after the children. But thank God there are even fair-minded LGBT individuals in the community who are railing against this and they are tired of it. They want the children left alone. They know that this is wrong. And that gives me hope, but they've got to start being more vocal and standing up against this agenda because it is harming the kids. And we have to stand up and fight for these kids. Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. You know, 
George, one question I have, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. So the, the opposite viewpoint that I hear is that, you know, as we all know, that a gay person is born that way. So it's not a choice. So how can we as a Christian say that they can get delivered from that or become free from that lifestyle if the understanding is that that's how you're born, so it's not changeable? How would you speak to that for somebody who would say that? Like, what are some thoughts that you would share on that? I used to struggle with that and I had a lot of confusion. Again, this is what just really burned me up about um, the LGBT activists and the lies that you get from the community and from the mainstream media and Hollywood, as well as the liberal pastors who give this theology that we're under grace, gay is okay, and you can do whatever you want. This caused me more confusion because I didn't know what to believe anymore. So if I went to God's word, I could hear both sides of the equation. And I was so despondent and in despair. I cried so much. Many times I would just sit in my car and beat on the steering wheel. I was so angry with God. And it got to a point for me where I said to God, if you will give me peace about this, if it is okay to be a homosexual, I'm asking you to give me peace, and I'm going to ask you to please put a good Christian man in my life, someone who is solid and stable. I want to grow old with someone. I want to know that someone is there for me and loves me and that I can love them. And we have a, a home, a foundation. But I also told God, I said, but God, if this is not in alignment with your word, if you will help me to know the truth, I will still serve you. And I was so sincere in that prayer. And God mm -hmm. gave me the answer because he put me in a liberal church where I was being fed all of this garbage. And I talk about this in my book where God was impressing upon me the word deprogramming and it weighed mm -hmm. so heavy on me. And I thought, wow, God is deprogramming me the lie of the lies of the Christian conservatives. And yep. this is okay. And I got all excited, but I couldn't understand in the co going, coming weeks and months, I was still not having any peace. And so I didn't realize that God was deprogramming me of the lies of the liberal Christian theology because he wasn't giving me any peace. And so when someone says we're born gay, why would God condemn homosexuality in his word in which you cannot find anything positive about homosexuality in That's God's right. word? Why would he make me gay and then condemn it? That would make God such a cruel and hateful God, not exactly. someone that I know and certainly don't want to serve. But God helped me to see we are all born with a sinful nature, and we're all going to struggle with different things. Why is it that I was gay, but my two brothers and my sister were straight? Perhaps I needed a few more hugs. They grew up in the same household that I did. So who knows? Maybe it's a generational curse. I know that somewhere in my family line, some people, my, uh, I had a relative who was into Freemasonry. Mm. So there are doorways that have to be closed. And I did those deliverance prayers and those generational curse prayers. Yep. And I, I tried a number of things, but God really was patient with me while basically being deprogrammed, like coming out of a cult. Because remind, let me remind you, that was my identity for 25 years. And yep. I had bought all of the lies but I had no peace in my life. And when I chose to believe God and walked away from it, the only thing I can tell you is this. When I truly repented and I told God I was sorry, I was going to turn my back on this life and I'm going to follow you and serve you. 
It was as if God had done an internal washing within me. And I can't describe it other than I felt so clean. And not only that, I had my peace of mind, which I hadn't had in decades. And that suicidal insanity was gone. And not only did I have peace with myself, and I knew God had forgiven me of my past, but I had peace with God. And there was something in the way that God delivered it to me was that you and I are good now. We've mm. gotten it all taken care of. And I have never looked back and I've been out of that life for over 13 years. I've chosen the path of celibacy. We'll see what God does in my life. But he has slowly allowed this time to draw me close to him and to learn how to have a relationship with him. And so, Michelle, I encourage you. Mm -hmm. It's okay that we have questions and that we sometimes may get angry and we're hurting. and We don't understand what God is up to. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is this. We are to trust him and to remain on that journey with him and trust him and surrender to him because at some point he's going to work it all out for you. Right. When he has something very interesting, my dad is a 33rd Mason. My uh, dad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd love to talk to him. You need to get him on video and get him to spill all the secrets. Oh, I know. I tr I've tried. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he says that he, he could, he'd have to kill me. <laughs> he says it's joking, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, he yeah. can tell me on. and I'll just tell him I live in a, another part of the world and he won't be able to. I know. That would really, we tried. Remember, Stephanie, we tried to get my dad on. Very interesting. Well, maybe, maybe we can try to bring him on the show. <laughs> that would be great. That, that would, would be, be an great. interesting conversation. It really would because people need to know about Freemasonry. And yes. If they are 33rd degree, Michelle, I'm not saying your father is a Satanist, but there are many people who've come out of that and who are exposing it. You yeah. can't get to that top level yeah. unless you sell out to the dark side. Now, wow. I'm not saying your father has done that, but it's some, the information is out there and you can find Freem former Freemasons who are exposing that. You know, going back to the topic of are gay people born that way? George, you and I were kind of talking about this too, and you started bringing this up that in a sense, we're all born according to the scriptures, you know, we're all born with a sin nature. So whether it's a propensity towards same sex attraction, or whether it's a propensity towards the occult or towards some other form of sexual immorality or addiction or anger, you know, whatever it is, I mean, we all are in a sense born with that sin nature. So, but that's different than what we're hearing in the world in terms of genetics. You know, uh, I think MIT and Harvard did a study and their study to find a gay gene has been inconclusive. So, um, you know, that the concept that genetically one is uh, born gay has just scientifically been uh, not proven. And, uh, but from a spiritual perspective, we can say that we all have a sin nature. So, yes. um, and like you were mentioning, generational sin, generational curses or patterns, you know, yeah, we do see that in families. You know, we see families where everyone gets divorced or everyone has depression or, you know, everyone struggles with a certain type of sin. And it's almost like when the enemy wants to come at us, you know, that might be our particular area of weakness. Um, and we all have it, you know? Yes. But uh, it's a good thing to know that it's nothing that God can't handle. And we know that he has worked mightily to help so many people come out of bondage. I know so many people who've yeah. come out of the occult and the porn industry, Satanism, new age, you name it, even the gay community, you would be surprised at the number of LGBT individu individuals who are coming out of that life 
and they are so happy to be free. I hear from LGBT individuals from all over the world and they tell me they are so miserable. They just don't know how to get out of it. They don't know that there is hope and they don't see it because the media will not touch our stories. And because right. of that, and because we go against the narrative that you're born that way and that you can be happy and all that nonsense, the LGBT community, we are now enemy number one to them and they attack us because they don't want our stories out there. And this community who lifts itself up as this, uh, oh, we're so loving and tolerant and inclusive and we care and we respect everyone's decisions. You know, go on social media somewhere, make up a fake profile and tell them that you have found that this life is wrong and that you've given your life to Christ and you're leaving it. And people, you should come to know Jesus and just say it in love. And you see what kind of response you get. You're not going to hear anybody tell you, oh, Stephanie, that's wonderful. We're happy for you. No, <laughs> they're going to curse you out and call yeah. you everything but a human being. They are so yeah. vile. So yeah. I'm just telling you, it's, it, they do not want the message to get out there. But these LGBT individuals who are searching and they are not happy in that life, we're trying to just sound the alarm and get ourselves out there to get them to see that there are others who have successfully transitioned out of that life. And they need to know because this was the most depressing part for me. I didn't know that you could leave that life and just choose the path of celibacy. I thought you have to then be attracted to a woman and I must now get married. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that God doesn't require that. He doesn't even require me to be perfect. He asked me to come to him with all of my baggage and brokenness and he will take care of the rest. And if God puts a woman in my life, great. And if he doesn't, I'm out of that life and out of that bondage. And I am happy on this celibate walk with Christ. And my life is just so radically different, but it's so worth it because you can't put a dollar sign on your peace of mind. And y'all, you guys, I would just ask you to pray that God will lift the veil of deception on the LGBT community because God loves them. Jesus died for them. He has right. not given up on them. And I'm seeing right. the work in that life, but we've got to make it move quicker because mm. so many more are getting trapped in that life. And it's just really sad. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, George, I heard you in some of your other interviews referred to this as a death style instead of a lifestyle. And I thought that was really unique. I had never heard of anybody say that before. Can you share a little bit about why you call it a death style? Yeah, because it's eventually going to just lead to death and destruction. There's at the end of that gay rainbow, there is no pot of gold. You're going to have a life of loneliness and you're going to look back on it. And especially the number of people I know who have AIDS, you know, taking, playing Russian roulette with your life every time you sleep with someone. And when you have seen the number of people I have who've had AIDS and people who on YouTube in the, in the final stages of their life telling you it was not worth it. It will only lead to not only a physical death, but as we know, a spiritual death and an eternal death because you're going to be apart from Christ. The life is not worth it. So it is a death style. The life style is being in Christ because I have the hope of eternal life. And no one can discount what I'm saying because I spent 25 years in that life. And they will accuse me of being a self-loathing homosexual, that I believe in fairy tales, and I'm a moron, and I'm a Judas, and I'm a traitor, and they call me every name in the book, and they send me all their vile stuff and the blasphemous stuff, the Satanists hate me, the feminists hate me, <laughs> and the homosexuals, they send me all of their caustic blasphemous stuff and the gay porn and stuff about Jesus. I've heard it all. 
but you're not going to change my mind and I'm not going to argue with them because I lived out my sexuality. I slept with hundreds of men. I did exactly what I wanted and I paid a price for that sin and rebellion. And I don't want to go back to that life. I finally have my peace of mind. Amen. Yeah. You know, as you're saying that you kind of answered the next question I was going to ask you, because as you're saying what you're saying, I'm thinking of my brother, you know, and if we were to ask my brother, you know, Dave, are you happy? You know, he is married. And I, I would venture to say, he probably would say, yes, I'm very happy in my marriage. And um, I, I'm not unhappy. And I don't think it's, it's a death style, right? Like he would probably say that. Yeah. Um, but I like how you said that, okay, well, even if someone may feel or experience that even in this life, they, they may be happy in terms of how they define it. Um, but there are eternal consequences. So it's not just looking at this life, but I like how when you say death style that you're also considering and taking into consideration the next life and that even if they temporarily may seem happy now, it's still going to lead to spiritual death, the second death. So yeah. I, I, and, I, un I, and unfortunately they just can't see the, the eternal picture and they'll, say, well, I'm not like that. You know, you were the whore, you know, that's what you did. Those were your choices. And that's why you were so miserable. But the thing is, when you have the LGBT community come at you and say things like, well, we're miserable because the Christians won't accept us. Understand this. I have said it many times. You could kill every Christian. You could destroy every Bible and you could enact every hate law known to mankind. What these individuals do not understand is, is you can't kill God. Yep. He is real. You can't run from him, and he's not going to allow you peace in something that he has deemed wicked and abominable. It doesn't mean that he has it out for you. He loves you, but yes. you have free will, and it's up to you to get the truth for yourself and decide, am I going to follow Christ, or am I going to just do what I want and be rebellious? But understand this. You are going to reap what you sow. Yeah. I have a question for, um, for Cheryl. <laughs> I didn't yeah. mean I don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but just out of curiosity, as the unbeliever, like I know you don't believe really in God's word or the Bible. So like, what do you think? Like, what are you thinking? I'm just curious. I mean, I don't, again, I don't want to put you on the spot as, you know, but I, I'm just curious, like as an unbeliever, what do you think of this? Because we're trying to think of like, what are the unbelievers who are going to be listening to this? What, what do you think they're thinking? Good question. Well, um, it, it, it was almost leading to the qu the question I had about, you know, Stephanie and I and uh, Michelle, I think you and I have, we've talked about this before where if Christianity, um, you know, if, if, if homosexuality is a sin and it's the same sin as any other sin, then why were there so many Christians, you know, persecuting gays right like i i keep circling back to that question um but to answer yours you know when when stephanie was just talking about her brother it, it just goes back to well but he would have to believe in order to to realize that he's gonna burn in hell you know you'd have to be a believer to turn that around so if someone is not a believer then then how would they hear any of this well see that's why i wish um donald was on this call because donald considers himself a believer he considers himself he's still living the lifestyle 
but he says that he's Catholic and he says that he keeps it it's separate, which I don't understand. That's why I wish he would have come on. He says that he keeps his lifestyle and his religion is two separate things. So I'm just, I don't know. I just, um, well, Cheryl, may I say something to you? Um, yes. Unfortunately, you have bad apples in every gender, sexual orientation, religion. It doesn't matter. Um, unfortunately, there are some sure. Christians who just don't have the heart of Christ. And the reason why I am where I am is because the Christians who are humble and they know and recognize their own sinful failures and their own faults. They never came at me with that. You need to come to Christ or else you're going to hell. I'm right. You're wrong. They never came at me in such a disgusting manner. Mm. They truly poured love into me and talked to me as a human being. And they loved on me. And there were times where we wouldn't even have a discussion about this because even with my gay friends now, they know where I stand and most of them have dropped me. But I have taken what, how these Christians spoke to me and I was able to finally wake up and get out of that life. When I speak to my gay friends who are still in my life and who put up with me, they call me the church lady, but yes, I'm going <laughs> to win their souls. Um, I call them and I will, I will ask them about their job. How are you doing? How's your health? How's your mom, your dad, whatever it is, because I truly genuinely care about them. And so they trust me. They know where I'm coming from and I don't sugarcoat their need for, for salvation. And I try to explain that to them and tell them, look, I was where you were and I had to come to this knowledge myself. But the difference is most LGBT individuals in the world are not going to sit down and read God's word and to get the truth for themselves. They would rather be lazy and just listen to other people. But I wasn't, I had been lied to so much. I was determined. I'm going to get this truth for myself. And I didn't know how it was going to come about, but I sincerely went to God and just said, Lord, help me. If you're real, if this is wrong, et cetera, et cetera, with all the questions, God just started to work in my life. And so I would say to Stephanie's brother, he may be where he is, but I would say to Stephanie and so many other Christians, pray for the LGBT individuals. We want them to have happiness. Well, we want them to have a good job and people who love them and, and don't mistreat them and stuff. But when it comes to that life, if they are truly God's children, pray that God will not give them any peace in that life. Because even yeah. those who aren't religious, they have no peace in that life. Then somehow just pray that God will reveal himself to them to where the light will go on and they will start to question and they will start to see we're being lied to mm. and I start asking the bigger questions. And that's how I got out of that life. Just love Christians who came to me in love, but still told the truth to me in love. Amen. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, I do, I do want to be clear that even though I'm an unbeliever, I still believe that I might be an unbeliever now, but I might be a believer at some other time. I'm just, my journey isn't over yet or, you know, I mean, it's never over, but I'm just not there yet. Okay. So <clears throat> right That's now fine. it does not piece together for me the same way years ago. It didn't piece together for Stephanie or years before that it didn't piece together for you. So I'm just not, my journey isn't as far along. That's all. And, um, so I just agree that if someone's not there yet, you know, yeah, that makes sense. What you're saying, have, have God pray for them. And, you know, one day it'll, the seed will plant and it, and it'll snap open. And, um, but we still have got to love each other for wherever we're at at the moment. And Absolutely. so I tend to be a little, you know, like, uh, just let everybody live and let live, you know? 
Well, I want to say to Michelle, I was glad she asked you that question because I, I noticed you were silent and I didn't want you to feel excluded from the conversation. And I really would like to get inside your head. So it's good to just hear what you're saying and how you're seeing this and how you are uh, processing this whole conversation. So just know that I'm certainly not trying to come off as a know-it-all and certainly not condemning you for your beliefs or lack of or wherever you are. You're right. It is your journey. You are. I feel no disrespect. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, you guys just have a lot. You, you, there's so much information here. I, I can't even find a place to jump in, but um, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> well, you know, I want to kind of um, jump back to George. You, you mentioned liberal pastors that you were exposed to and, you know, that's something that the three of us had talked about, you know, what is going on with pastors who are showing up in these churches? Ooh, like when are, I mentioned progressive Christianity, right? Yeah, like progressive Christianity. And yeah. um, I have a friend who told me that the church he had gone to, the pastor was in an openly homosexual relationship and he made no qualms about it and was teaching the congregation that God is okay with homosexuality and there's nothing wrong with it. And he's probably one of many pastors who are echoing that same message. And it's just, it's just strange that a pastor of a church can read the same Bible that we're reading and have no fear of God to get up there and, and say those things. And, um, and what I heard from what you were saying, George, is that that message from them was causing a lot of confusion for you. Yes. And what really irritates me, this is the question I would say to these pastors. Okay, so if God is okay with homosexuality and we can do that, why is he delivering so many of us out of that life? Someone is lying. Yeah. So either God is the liar or these pastors are lying. Right. Who are we going to choose? I'm going to choose the person that ha holds the keys to where I'm going to spend eternity. Amen. And so uh, it really burns me up because what makes my life more difficult when I'm trying to witness to my LGBT friends and lovingly get them to see that, no, it is not okay. They will parrot these talking points of these pastors, but yet they won't sit down and try to find the truth out for themselves. It was only, and I'm going to tell you where the dilemma was for me. I never wanted to read God's word because I just feared all I'm going to see is more condemnation. Yeah. And I was hurting so badly already from being rejected in so many areas. Even in the LGBT community, you experience a lot of rejection because it's so youth oriented and how you look and the money you have and where you live and what you drive. It's so fake and it's just so shallow. Mm -hmm. And so I'm getting rejection in all areas, life, school, church, Christians, the LGBT community, the last thing I wanted to do was open up God's word and think that there's going to be more condemnation and judgment. Yeah. But somewhere I knew I've got to sit down and really figure this out. And I truly just studied God's word. And where it clicked for me was that I saw that when God got angry, even with the Israelites or with Adam and Eve or in Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't the individuals as much as what they were doing. He was just as angry at idolatry and witchcraft and the That's occult, right. neglecting right. the poor, not taking care of the widows, mistreating people. And it was then it clicked for me that God does not have an ax to grind with homosexuals. It's the right. sin issue. Yep. And once I did that, I realized what I have is a heavenly father, just like my mother and father, 
who would whip my rear end if I stuck a fork <laughs> in the uh, electric socket or I ran across the street without looking or if I didn't do my homework or if I came home after curfew, I finally saw that God was not giving these do's and don'ts to keep me from having a quality life or to just be this ogre or somebody who's just ready to pounce on you. He was telling me this because he knew from a spiritual standpoint how it was going to devastate and destroy my life. Yes. And that's when I started to just finally realize, oh, I love God so much because he really does care for me. He cares for us. Mm -hmm. And I saw God's word in a whole different light after that. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I think you bring up such a great point about not wanting to look at the word because you didn't want to feel more rejected and more condemned. Um, I've, I've heard that from several people before too. Um, and it does. I mean, the Bible does read us, you know, it, um, it convicts you. It convicts I was, us. I didn't read know? the Bible either for many years. I had the Bible on my nightstand. I never picked it up until I joined a Bible study and I was even still scared to pick up the Bible. So yeah, I, yeah, I can it's really that. sad. And little do we, did we know that the key to our freedom was in God's word. Yeah. I just never saw it. I just thought this is the one, this is going to be nothing but wrath and condemnation. And I just couldn't take any more of it. I was such a mess. And little did I know that that was the key to life. Mm. Oh, amen. Speaking of the Bible, um, you know, we all know that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm sure whenever we think of homosexuality, that's probably one of the first stories we think of. What are your thoughts on that story? I'm so glad you asked that. When I got into God's word and looked at every place where God was about to destroy a city and he would compare it to their sisters, Sodom and or Gomorrah, I, I went back and I actually detail all of this in the book. I went back and looked at everything that that city was doing, and God actually specifically outlines the sins that they were committing. 98% of it had nothing to do with homosexuality. It had so many other, you know, even uh, people who were prophesying lies in God's name or mothers neglecting their children. There were so many things that really angered God. And if you'll remember, in Sodom and Gomorrah, God was already planning on destroying those two cities it had nothing to do with Lot and the angels as of yet, because Abraham said, well, would you spare those two cities if we can just find five righteous people? And God graciously said, yes, I will mm -hmm. spare those cities. But we di he didn't because he couldn't. And we saw what happened when uh, the men were wanting to uh, surround Lot's house and rape those angels. And that was the final straw. And God destroyed them because they were so wicked. And mm -hmm. so I learned, you know, you have well-meaning but ignorant Christians who have used God's word to just beat a group of people down. And they have, it's funny, they will drive home, oh, the homosexuals, but they seem to be very light when it comes to the divorces and the shacking up and having sex right. outside of marriage. You know, it's, you know, men will say, oh, those homosexuals, that's so disgusting. But when it's two hot women together, oh, those are some hot babes. That's a really hot thing. It was really, the hypocrisy That's that burned the hypocrisy, me. Yeah. Yeah. That burned me up because when I've got somebody condemning me for being a homosexual, but they're on their second, third and fourth marriage, I'm like, right. really? Exactly. Who, who are yep. you? But I had to get my attitude adjusted. And I'm going to tell you what God did one night. I was walking out in LA and 
I was so busy trying to ask God help me to forgive those that had hurt me because God won't forgive us if we don't find forgiveness in our heart. Mm. And it was as if God smacked me and said, you need to look at your attitude towards Christians. And I never thought about the Christian community as a whole, how much I hated them. <laughs> and I had to go to God and ask him to forgive me of that as well. And additionally, I had a radio host send me a, a podcast on sexual sins and immorality with not only homosexuals, but heterosexuals. And as I was walking, something in me, it was as if God really revealed the magnitude of what I was in and what my life looked like because I was in such despair. And it was as if God said to me, you are where you are today because of the choices you made. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was reaping what I had sown. And in that moment, I, and I'm going to get choked up talking about it. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to sit down on the curb and just cry because I was in so much pain and I just thought, God, I need help so badly. Mm -hmm. But this is how I knew the difference between God and Satan dealing with me. Because when the enemy works with us, when he brings something to mind, we spiral downhill quickly. Mm -hmm. But no sooner had God brought that to light in my own mind, he also gave me this impression that, but healing is coming. Yeah. And I didn't break down and cry. And there was something in that that lifted me up to know, God, I may not understand what you're doing, but it, the healing is coming. Great. And he has provided that. It has been quite a journey, but God is good. Amen. <clears throat> George, what would you say to someone, you know, and I'm kind of thinking of my dad right now. He um, recently came to Christ. He was a Roman Catholic all his life, never heard the gospel. And when he learned the gospel, um, he believed it. He trusts the gospel, but he really struggles a lot with believing that he is gay. Like his identity is that he's a homosexual. Like he'll say, um, Stephanie because I am a homosexual, does that mean I'm going to hell? And I think he has a hard time separating the fact that his sexual preference or lifestyle that God doesn't like is not his identity. And he doesn't know how to separate that out. And he's really struggling with this a lot. Like, I don't know if you've come across people who also struggle with that. Um, but what would you say to someone like him who feels like God doesn't love him or worries he's going to go to hell because um, he believes that that's who he is as his identity? And so he has a hard time think, believing that he can get free of that. Like, what would you say to someone like that? What I would say to him or anyone else, I, exactly, I understand exactly how he feels. It was my identity for 25 years, and it took me a long time to stop identifying myself as that and now identifying myself as a follower of Christ. My identity is now in Christ. It is not in my sexual orientation. Mm. And it, with him not even feeling like God loves him, I will tell you, it has only been within the last maybe two years that I have finally fully accepted that God truly loves me. Mm. I still felt like God is like people. He's going to, he's only going to like me if I behave a certain way and it's a very conditional love and he's going to turn his back on me at any moment. If I mess up or stab me in the back, you know, just be like people are, mm. but I have seen God's faithfulness and in studying God's word and even going to Bible studies with men and women who aren't afraid to speak the truth and the meat of God's word. The one thing that they, they have driven home to me is until you study God's character 
-hmm. until you truly understand God's character and look at the covenants and how God doesn't lie. He doesn't break his covenants. Some are unconditional and some are conditional. So in other words, he makes a covenant with someone and it's conditional, but if they break that covenant, then he's allowed to break his side of it. So when I came to understand God's character, it really helped me not only accept more of God's love for me, but his faithfulness and that he really has only my best interests at heart and he's not going to hurt me. And I would say to your father and anyone else, whenever you doubt God's love for you, until you get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you truly read, understand Calvary and what Jesus went through at Calvary, mm. it was not a beautiful picture. It was bloody. It was brutal. It was senseless to have your, your beard ripped out of your face and to have your face drowned in spit and to people beat you and to break your jaw and whatever else that, that it is that they did before him even hanging on the cross. And then not only the agony of, if, unless you understand Roman crucifixions at that time, they really made sure the victim was tortured. Not only that, the six hours that he was there understanding from a medical standpoint what his body was physically going through and the internal organs shutting down. And not only on top of all of that, knowing that he was innocent, but he was dying for us to have his own father turn his back on him. <sighs> Tell me, how much more can God show you that he loves you? Right. And it was when I really had to put the cross under the microscope and really look at this from Jesus's standpoint, and from the standpoint of God, how he had to turn his back on his own son, because that's how seriously God takes sin. And Christians have become so lukewarm and apathetic. They yes. think that sin is a joke and yep. they don't realize God takes it seriously. And you had better wake up and start taking it seriously. This cost God, his son, and it yep. cost Jesus his life. And it is only when you can look at that and really look at it from that standpoint and get outside of our narcissistic selves yeah. that you can realize God really does love us. And I need to get this, this sin issue settled with God right now while there's still time. Yep. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, and it, it just makes me think that when we think about, well, what is our message? to the LGBTQ community. And it's not a message of stop being gay. It's a message of understanding God's grace and love for you. Because even if you stop being gay and you come out of that lifestyle, but you haven't received God's love and his grace, you haven't accepted what he did for you, it, it still ultimately doesn't matter, right? because it's not like homosexuality is the only sin. And the three of us have talked about this a lot too. It's, it almost seems as though homosexuality as a sin just kind of gets plucked out of the sin bucket and kind of lives over here on its own. But yet, like you were saying, we've got college students who are fornicating left and right, and no one seems to have a problem with that. Um, that's just normal. That's what everybody does. And it's just like, there's so many things that are sinful in our society and culture that no one has a problem with. It's like, I don't know. Well, it's hard to imagine coming out of that life. And I'll tell you why. If you could just for a moment, put yourself in this position. If I were a gay pastor and I said to you ladies, heterosexuality is wrong under all circumstances. God is tired of how you've treated homosexuals. And from this point forward on, 
you must leave the one you love and you must go be with a woman and you must have sexual intercourse with her because this is what I deem perfect, righteous, and holy. And you being three heterosexual women who love guys come to me crying because you're like, that I find that disgusting and I can't manufacture feelings that I don't have for another woman. And I so callously say to you, well, you love your sin too much. You don't really love God. You don't want to change. And if you can look at it from that standpoint and put yourself there, that's what it's like for a person who is truly same-sex attracted when they hear this information. Because all I could hear, especially when my father would have this conversation with me, it was like he was stabbing me in the heart. It's like, you're my dad. Why would you say this? I want so badly to love and be loved, and I want to grow old and be with someone. And we all have these fears and insecurities about growing old and no one being there for us. And it would just break my heart and cause me to cry. And I would just get so depressed. And I couldn't understand. He was really looking at it from an eternal standpoint. He didn't want me to die and go to hell. And I was only looking at it from a worldly perspective. But I would say to the LGBT individuals, if I told you that if you could leave that life for just one year and walk with Jesus, and I give you eternal life after that, it would change their whole perspective in terms of walking out of that life. Oh, yeah, I could do that. I could give up um, being, you know, having a homosexual relationship for a year. It's how do you get them to understand you're thinking of only now and this moment. And, you know, you can go out and have that 30-minute romp in the sack. But when it's done, you don't feel any more fulfilled. Do you really have peace in your life? Did it just rock your world to the point of where you just, you know, I don't need sex for another 10 years. This just really changed my whole world. No, nothing in the world will satisfy. And it was only then after I had already tried all of the things that I thought would satisfy that I had no peace. And that's why it was so much easier for me because I praise God. He allowed me to wallow in that pig pen for 25 years to realize this is a dead end and you have no choice follow me or as far as I was concerned, it was kill myself because there was nothing else for me as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And you know, it makes me think too, cause it, you know, I've struggled with sexual, sexual immorality in my past and it is, it's, it's, it's a very empty um, life and it, it becomes addictive. And I heard you use that word before too. It becomes ad- addicting and um it doesn't matter what form that sexual morality takes. Um, it, it's empty. Mm-hmm. You know? And what's really interesting is you will hear Christians or those who claim to be Christian, they will live like the devil six days a week and, they, and go out to the clubs, have all the sex, do the drugs, drink, live like however they want. But then on Sunday morning, they have the audacity to step into a church and say to God, now I need you to bless me. Mm. Now we all know if we went to our parents and we, didn't follow their rules. We did what we wanted. We sassed them. We didn't come in for the curfews. Do you think they're just going to suddenly hand us a new car and a $10,000 fat bank account and, and, and just bless us and praise us and, and lift us up? No, they beat our rear ends and cut us off. You know, mm. so why do people think that God is the same way that you can just use him for your convenience as if he's some magic genie I'm going to rub the lamp. Give me what I want. This is the (laughs) prosperity gospel. I'm in church. So you give me all of this stuff that I want, but they have no regard for God or his feelings. And that's the problem. 
you know, that's no one stops the, to think about his feelings. The unbeliever w- would say, then don't proclaim to be Christian. That's all like go live your life and do whatever you want. That's great. That's on you. But then stop pretending you're Christian. That's what we, the unbeliever and me and, and fellow unbelievers are always kind of confused with that. (laughs) You want it both ways. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Well, Cheryl, and that's sad because your point is not only very valid, it's what's so maddening because, and I will throw myself in there when I lived in that life, it's putting a stain on God's name because people like you will possibly look at us and think, well, if that's what they call being a Christian, I'm a Christian because I live just like they do. That's a good point because it does it, it is a turnoff. And, yeah. you know, and I know Stephanie and Michelle have found an article with um, a, a study that was done in Florida where like only 4% of Christians really know the gospel and really know what's going on. So it's sad because if, you know, as I learn about Christianity through Stephanie, of course, you know, I've got two people right here that are kind of walking the walk, but it, I've never seen that before. So my my history with this is, you know, a bunch of hypocrites, basically, you know? Yeah. But don't let those hypocrites keep you from doing your own search. You know, this is what my mother and father always told me. They said, people will fail you, but God will never fail you. Mm -hmm. And so Cheryl, I would Mm -hmm. suggest to you, like my parents told me, you always keep your eye on God. And when I say God, I'm talking about whose son is Jesus Christ. There are a lot of gods with the little G, but I'm talking about the true living God. Keep your eye focused on him and not people and let and work on your relationship with him. If you ever feel that you want to give your life to Christ, I promise you it is well worth it Mm -hmm. because they're missing out on a blessing by living the way that they do and not following God's commands. And that's between them and God and he will deal with them. But you know what? Just like me and Stephanie and even Michelle, We've all can say we've been through our periods of immorality and doing things that we shouldn't have, but you see where we are today. And I'm going to say, if I had not gone what I had been through, I don't think I would value my relationship with Christ and with my Lord and Savior and God as much as I do now, because a lot of Christians have never really had to suffer. So they don't really- Yeah, I would agree with that too. How do you really know and understand God's grace and mercy unless you've really had it extended to you? So I am grateful. As hard as my journey has been, I thank God that I went through it and that I am where I am today. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, one thing that came up for me when you were speaking was I've heard people say um, when you when you talk about getting free from this lifestyle, how Jesus healed you, delivered you from homosexuality. I've heard people push back on that and say, oh, that's not what really happened. They're still gay, but they're just suppressing their feelings. Can you talk to, to the people who may think that? Like, what would you say to that person? Okay, so let's remove God from the equation. Let's just say that I lived 25 years in that life before God even became part of the equation. I had already started the path of celibacy about a year, year and a half before really completely turning my life around. I was so sick of the of that life. The problem with people is that we continue to make these same choices, continue these same patterns, and we sit there and we wonder, why are our lives so jacked up? Why are we miserable and depressed? Why do we not have any peace? So 
remove God from the equation. At what point do you stop and get honest with yourself and say, this isn't working? And for me, I was ready to say, this isn't working, and I'm turning my back on it, which was great because when God became part of the equation and God started to clean house and it got uncomfortable and I started losing friends, I didn't know who I was anymore, and I'm in therapy and I'm trying to write this book and I'm about bonkers from all of it. Um, the reason why I'm so glad I went through 25 years of that misery was because it's it's a normal tendency for us to run back to what is comfortable, no matter how um, devastating or the addiction can be. But I knew that it didn't work and I didn't want to run back to into it. And I just kept sticking with God thinking, God, I know somewhere in all of this, I'm going to come out on the other side of this and I'm going to see what you're doing in my life. And I'm so glad I stuck with him. So no, I'm not suppressing anything. Like I said, I was a whore. Okay. I lived out my sexuality. I lived it to the fullest, but it, I paid a price for it and nearly cost me my life and my sanity and walking out of that life now and being celibate. I wouldn't change anything in the world. You couldn't pay me no amount of money to walk back into that life because I no longer have that anxiety. Oh, am mm. I going to be rejected tonight? Is there somebody who's going to want me? Am I going to catch HIV from sleeping with the wrong person? Am I thin enough, young enough, beautiful enough, handsome enough, whatever it is that constant rejection and anxiety that comes with that being over or coming down on drugs at what point do you just get tired of feeling like garbage and for me i had had enough and that's why i've turned my life around praise god praise god um you know it's like i'm just thinking and it's like um what came to my mind is you know like as for me it's almost like you guys hit rock bottom you know you live the the style lifestyle you know I just kind of feel like there are people out there that have, like I haven't done that. I haven't, you know, slept around and, you know, been with women and, you know, the things that I've, you know, maybe desired, but I just never did it. So I know, you know, in the back of my mind, it's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, you think about it like, well, I wonder what it would be like. You know, I know there, I'm sure there are people out there too that, you know, well, I didn't get to do all that. So maybe I want to do it now. It's almost like a midlife type of crisis maybe people are having. And maybe that's, you know, it's hard. It's maybe a little bit harder for, you know, somebody like that where they haven't done the things that they've wanted to do. Now that their life is, you know, you know, getting close to the end, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they want to start experimenting or maybe, or maybe there are people out there that, um, they're not ready yet to surrender that lifestyle too. They're just not ready yet because they, they want to still live in that addiction, I guess. I, I don't know if that even makes sense. Well, so, well, just coming to mind, just thinking of that because I know that, yeah, I just something I thought of. Well, Michelle, I just wanted to say, hopefully if you're listening to mine and Stephanie's and, and who, whoever's other stories that you're listening to, you will see that even if you have that desire to go and, and, and play around for a little bit, you see what it ultimately has done mm -hmm. for us mm -hmm. and how we, uh, I mean, what's worse, you having never tasted the cotton candy and you wonder about it or those of us who did, but we paid a price for it. Mm -hmm. Right. It made you sick. What's worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. yeah you know, it makes me think of that saying where they say there's pleasure in sin, but for a season and then it leads to death. I mean, the Bible says sin, all sin leads to death and destruction, but there's, but there's pleasure in sin, but for a season. Right. So no matter what form that sin takes, it is going to feel good for a time. Mm -hmm. Right.
And so if you're saying, hey, are there people who are like, hey, I want to feel good for a time? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you know, that's the sin part of our nature. Um, that's how that's how all of us get hooked, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think we all have to look long term because that's how the enemy is. He'll seduce you, lead you in, get you hooked, and then destroy your life. Yeah. Yes. And the bottom line for me is, is sure, there are some times where I get so tired of life and I get tired of the pain mm-hmm. on many levels. And I think, you know, sometimes I'd love to just go have sex with a man and drink a margarita and do some cocaine and just forget about life and just <laughs> right. like, numb yeah. out. Numb out. Yeah. But I know that when I do that, I'm going to feel like crap the next day. I'm mm-hmm. going to have broken that relationship with God. Not mean, it doesn't mean I lose my salvation. It just means right. I've got to go to God and do this repentance thing again. And I don't want to break that relationship with God. But what we as Christians fail to understand is that do we ever stop to think that if we are truly God's child, and the Holy Spirit is living with us. We have to be mindful that when we go and sleep with someone outside of marriage, we are also making the Holy Spirit participate in that wickedness because he indwells mm-hmm. within us. That's right. Are we stopping to think of how we are grieving the Holy Spirit and hurting God's feelings? Mm-hmm. How much do we ever stop to think about the price that Jesus paid and we just mm-hmm. trample on his grace? His grace is there for us when we fail, but it does not give me a right to go and do as I please. And the LGBT community is so great about making sure that they have special rights and they have grace. But where is the, you can't separate grace. You either have grace or you don't. So if we're going to go by their logic, then I can also go out and murder people who piss me off and I can go sleep with whomever I want and we can go have 15 abortions and just do whatever the heck, steal, kill, do whatever it is, but you know what? I can do it because I'm under grace. Why is it that homosexuality gets a special pass with the grace, but they're not going to approve of murderers uh, having a pass? You know, we'll have a gay pride parade, but where's the murderer pride parade or the adultery pride parade Mm -hmm. or the abortion pride parade? I mean, the porn industry pride parade. I mean, I know they celebrate this stuff, but I'm just saying it's the hypocrisy that the LGBT community feels that they get a pass, but everybody else has to still be held to a certain standard. And don't mm-hmm. you dare speak out against them or you'll mm-hmm. experience their wrath. It's just, you know, they talk about the Christian hypocrisy. Let's look at the hypocrisy in the LGBT community. May I say, you know, in the book, I talk about a military guy that I had dated uh, off and on uh, when I was in Tennessee unbeknownst to me now he's been in a relationship probably 20 25 years and i'm not sure if he and his partner are married but he reached out to me and this was telling about him versus most of the lgbt community he just emailed me and he said i want you to know i read your book and i'm glad that you found peace and he was the one see he didn't bother to argue he wasn't mad he respected my journey why is it that the lgbt community why is it that they can't say look I may not like what he's saying. I may not even agree with this whole Jesus thing. But you know what? If this is the road that has helped him find peace, because we all deserve to be at peace and be happy, I'm going to respect that and wish him well. But they don't. They absolutely lose their minds. If you, I could tell you my whole, I could lay down, bear my soul about my whole life before the LGBT community. They could care less because the minute I say I turn my life turned my back on that life and gave my life to Christ, they will absolutely lose their minds. And this is telling of how intolerant they are. 
They don't care about your happiness. They want you to be bound into the same slavery that they are. They don't want you to have peace. They don't want to hear it because they love their sin and their wickedness, and they think they're going to find peace and joy, and they think that they're happy in it. But as you said, sin is only sin is fun for a season, and, and somewhere they're going to hit the brick wall. I would think that they would just, it, it's kind of like, it's a little bit of misery loves company, right? No one wants to lose their buddy in their sin. And, and they probably f- would look at it like you're turning against them, right? Yeah. Yeah. They take it so um, personal and it's not, it's like, look, go be a homosexual. I don't care. I've never mistreated any of my gay friends. I love them. I am burdened for them. I don't want them to die in hell. And I love them enough to tell them the truth, but this is the way I look at it. If I'm standing with them on judgment day before God and they are shrieking in terror at what awaits them when God tells them, depart from me, I knew you not. We know what God's word says about hell. I would die. I just could not imagine them looking at me and saying, why didn't you tell me? I will now be able to say, I did tell you and you wouldn't listen. And although it would grieve me to know where they are going and I would miss out on having an eternity of fellowship with them, they made that choice themselves because they'll not be able to go to hell and blame God because God has made it clear hell is for Satan and his angels. But if you reject Christ, God is going to remind you of every time he allowed you to hear the truth and you continually rejected it. And you will know you are there by your own free will because you were stubborn and hard-headed and you didn't want to listen. And you will know this is not God's fault. And it's no one else's fault but my own. I am in hell because I chose to be here. Pride. And that's yeah. why, yes. And you have to be bold and honest and tell them the truth. If they never talk to you again, that is not your problem. Plant that seed because God will water it down the road in other ways. And that's all I can do. And just keep moving forward. Yep. I would agree with that. No, I just remember what I was going to say. When you were talking about how heated the LGBT community gets when you mention the word Jesus, to me, what that, what that says is it should show us that there is a spiritual war here going on. And it should, it should show us just how powerful and true Jesus is, because if it was anyone else that you mentioned, um, we, you probably wouldn't hear that backlash, um, or get that backlash, you know, but, mention Jesus and all hell breaks loose. You know, um, I've experienced that too, because I was into some crazy stuff in the new age and no one ever had a problem with it. Soon as I came to Jesus, literally all hell broke loose, you know? Yeah. And to me, that was another confirmation that I knew I was on the truth because if it wasn't the truth, no one would care. <laughs> right. But the enemy and, wouldn't really care, you know? And I was going to say, there are numerous, uh, there are photos on the internet and you can, actually see this for yourself but there are pride parades where men will dress up as jesus and hang themselves on the cross and mock him and i would say to cheryl and to others if if jesus wasn't real if he hadn't risen from the grave and if he wasn't such a threat why do they always mock and hate christians even satanists will tell you when they are doing satanic rituals they invert the the catholic um what do you call it um when you're doing the Catholic, uh, the the Catholic prayer, whatever it oh, is, the um the, the Eucharist, ceremony. yes, the Mass, they, yeah, they will invert that and they pervert it. So, this is what I would say: if why is it that they always mock Jesus, but they don't mock Muhammad or Buddha right. or the Krishna right. gods or or the Hindu gods or Krishna or anyone else? 
the thing is, is all of those world religions didn't have a savior that died for them and raised from the grave or yeah, the rest of them, they're either idols or they have no power or they were men who died and that was it. But there were witnesses to Jesus's resurrection and even historians like Josephus talk about it. Why would you bank your soul and your destiny on a bunch of world religions or idols when someone defeated death? And for me, it started to click. I'm going to bank it on the winner who cheated death. He beat it. And so, you, you know, the dark side, they hate Jesus. They hate the name of Jesus. They mock him. But like you said, if I, like you say, Stephanie, if we were to um, become Buddhist, Hindu, they don't care. Yeah, no one cares. Great. <laughs> yeah. Coexist. Coexist. Yep, that's it. Yeah. There's such it's such hypocrisy, but they rail against Christians for being hypocrites, and they refuse to see how hypocritical they are. That is what is so maddening to me. Right. It's kind of like if if we're going to go out with the message of let's all just respect each other's opinions and beliefs, then leave it at that. But let's not go that extra step and and ridicule and mock and break fellowship with people who choose to follow Christ. So there's definitely more going on. Yeah. I mean, I would break, yeah. I would break ties with anyone who was just abusive, whether exactly. they're religious or not, because there are right, a lot exactly. of non-religious abusive people who are jerks. That's so, right. so it's not that surround yourself with people who love you, who will respect you, but also find those people who will tell you the truth and love. And those right. LGBT individuals need to understand when a Christian comes to you and tells you the truth in love, know that that is the most loving thing that they could ever do that anyone could ever do for you here on this earth, because they're trying to, they're looking at the eternal perspective. You may hate the message, but if you can stop for a moment and just say, Hey, I may not like it. This is hard to digest. I love my sin. I love being in this life, but I need to stop and, and really reevaluate and listen to what they're saying because no guarantee for any of us that we will be living tomorrow. That's right. I, I can tell you in 2014, I was on the phone with my sister uh, after Christmas. We had a good 30 minute conversation. We hung up the phone and I didn't know that within a week that she would be dead from an asthma attack. Oh, wow. I can tell you a number Sorry. of stories. A friend of mine, he met a gay guy on uh, one of those dating apps, and the guy murdered him that night. Uh, oh, wow. My father was witnessing to a gentleman one night, sharing the gospel with him. And my father was very respectful and just asked the guy if he had any questions, if he wanted to come to know Christ. And the guy told him, well, I'd like to think about it. And my father respectfully said, that's fine, and left. The next day, when the guy left work, he was killed in a car wreck. Oh, I could wow. tell you numerous stories. Of, of incidents like this where people really think, oh, I have forever to think about this, and they don't know an hour from now they could be dead. Yeah. That's why when you're hearing the message and the Holy Spirit is working on you, it is important to come to Christ at that moment because you never know if this is going to be your last chance. And that's not to be preachy or a scare tactic. Right. That's it's just the truth. truth. Yeah. No, it's so true. You know, the other thing, too, that comes up a lot, and I know I've gotten this in my family when I've tried to educate my family about what the Bible says, what, what they'll say to me is, well, you know what? We just shouldn't judge. Who are we to judge? George, can you speak to that a little bit? I know you and I talked about it briefly, but I'm, you know, we all hear that. We hear that a lot. Like, oh, well, let them just do what they want. You know, who are we to judge? And a lot of Christians misunderstand what the Bible actually really says about judging. 
Yes, God's word is clear. We are told to judge, but we're not to, told to judge in a condemning way. For instance, if I was to say to Cheryl, you shouldn't be having an affair, but I'm out there having an affair and doing the same thing, which is hypocritical, we are not to do that. And I'm not to judge her, to condemn her to hell. That's God's job to do that. But when it says judge, you know, if I saw you, Stephanie, or Michelle, or Cheryl, um, doing something that I had to learn the hard way that I knew was going to be detrimental to your life. God commands us to go to that individual and share with them in love uh, the reality of what they are about to do and get them right on the right back on track. Because as we know, in God's word, there was a, a young man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, I believe it was, or his mother. Some, anyway, it was a relative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, they and Paul or whoever it was that was with them at the time went and, and chastised him and corrected him because we are to, to correct our brothers and sisters in love to keep them from going down a path that is going to be destructive. Mm-hmm. And this is what is so hip, hypocritical. You know, let's remove God from the equation. We judge people every day. Every time we meet someone, especially women who meet men, you start to judge, well, is he really a good man? You know, can I trust him? Is he going to sleep with, on, around on me? Does he have a good job? Oh, I don't think he's that cute. Or we look at women, (laughs) oh, you know, her hair looks a mess or whatever it is. We judge people all the time. If somebody comes to us and offers us a great deal, what's the first thing we do? We get a little suspicious. All right, what's the motive? What's the catch? And we have to learn to judge and use discernment. Discernment, So God's word. So when a Christian says to me, oh, you can't judge, or the the world loves to use that because they clearly don't know God's word. I know that individual is ignorant of God's word. We are to judge, but there are guidelines on how to judge. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, that's what I see. Our message here today is a message of love. And the world, unfortunately, has planted the seed in people's minds that it's hate speech when it's actually just the opposite. And I want to make it clear, I'm, when I rail, it's not against the LGBT individual. I love that I, I was part of that community, and I know so many wonderful people who are trapped in that life, and I care immensely for them, and I want them to find freedom in Christ. But it is the agenda that I loathe because the LGBT community is too blind to see that the bigger agenda of what is at play is that they are placating the LGBT community and using them because they are eventually going to destroy them. It, it, what they are doing is going to be detrimental to their lives and they can't see it. They really think that the Democrat party loves them and cares about them, but they don't. And I'm not saying the Republican party is better. This is not an advertisement for Trump. I'm just saying when you look at a party who supports Islam and they've made it clear, Hillary Clinton was, was expected and it was alleged that she was going to allow um, an influx of Muslim migrants to come into our country. And until the LGBT community looks at what has happened in Italy, Germany, Sweden, in the UK and in France, how women are scared to go out at night, how there are multiple attacks on individuals in their countries and their society is being destroyed. But until they look at Islam and the ideology, it is not compatible with Western culture. Their goal is to dominate the world with Sharia law. And that means women will be subjugated and homosexuals will be thrown off of buildings or hung by cranes, which they do in the Middle East. They hate them. And I recently just had an Egyptian woman that I spoke with who was a Christian. She was a doctor. She had to flee the country because she won a woman over to Christ. And the husband of that woman wanted this person killed. And I asked her, 
I said, they all, you always hear about these peaceful, loving Muslims, but how come they never speak out and rail against the extremists that are attacking various places around the world, even here in the U.S.? And she said, it's because they agree with the Quran, they're, and also they're afraid to speak out. Mm. But it is their goal to dominate this, uh, our culture and to destroy America. And you have these LGBT individuals and liberal feminist women who support a party that is going to be the, is going to really end up with their destruction and demise and the destruction of our country and our freedom. Right. And I didn't mean to get off on a political stance, but I was really just trying to tie it all in of the bigger picture of what we're really facing in our, and not only in our country, but from, the spiritual aspect and the spiritual warfare that is going on and trying to just get people to see that we're being lied to. And we've got to wake up because time is short. Jesus is coming soon and we've got to get things right and settle because it's about to get ugly. That's right. That's right. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, um, Cheryl, I I'd like to just maybe go back to you for a little bit. Is there, any other thoughts or comments that you want to share from your position? Um, the thing that was just coming to my mind now was more like, even if you're an unbeliever, right? You could take, you could take God out of some of this stuff and you could take faith and religion out of this stuff and people can just on their own, you know, grow, grow up, mature, get out of a lifestyle because they, they suddenly realize it's not working for them. I mean, a lot of us, you know, did stupid crap in our 20s and drugs and alcohol and sex. And then we sort of realized it still left us empty. And then, you know, people get married and have kids and, and they go off on a, you know, and they go to bed at eight o'clock and life is nice and serene, you know. <laughs> and and sometimes that's just called maturity. It doesn't always have to be that you have to find God or find Jesus in order to turn your life around. True. That was just a thought. That was just a thought coming to me. Yeah. Cheryl, what I would say to you, and again, I'm not attacking you and I'm not trying to say I'm right and you're wrong and you need to believe like I believe. I sure. mean this in the utmost respect. Sure. Let's say that you do that and you have a great life. Your kids grow up, they're healthy. They have grandkids. I mean, you've got your grandkids and you grow to, to live a ripe old age with your husband and you get to pass peacefully without any debilitating disease. The question I would pose to you is this, then where do you, do you not stop and think about the eternal picture? Because don't you worry, let's say that if it's not real, that it's all a hoax and a fairy tale, well, then the joke's on us. We were the idiots and we believed in this fairy tale. But if it is real and we believe that God's word is real and you die without Christ and you find that there is an eternal hell and you're there, no matter how good you think you are, it's because you rejected Jesus. Is there not something in you that would at least say, well, I, I want to at least try to figure this out for myself and ask God, go to him. He will reveal himself. If you humbly and sincerely go to him and just say, I want the truth. If this is real, will you help me to see it? And that's all I'm saying is think about the eternal picture. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm trying to learn about it. And um, so far I'm not, I'm not the, the, the entire thread and the story isn't, isn't yet making sense to me. So it's, it's hard for me to believe that it's 
that it's true at this point. It's, it's, a, it's a fabulous story, but I'm not sure that that's exactly what happens when we die. Um, because how could anybody know? And so I'm learning, but uh, I'm just, I'm not there yet. Well, Cheryl, I hope you'll read my book because I actually outlined that in very simple terms. It, my mm -hmm. book's only about 138 pages. It's an easy read, but I take all of that that people would question and I'll tell you why I took the time to do it because not only did I have to come to the truth myself, I knew I was not going to have time to sit down and witness to every lesbian and gay person that I knew, but I knew if I gave them the book, they had the information and I, I knew then that it was going to be the decision of whether they accept it or reject it, but at least their blood would not be on my hands. And I would be able to know that if they died and went to hell, I did what I could to try to give them the information uh, to keep them from going there. And, you know, it, we, I think Christians can make this whole thing difficult, but the bottom line is this, the earth is just a waiting room. You and I are here to live our life as, you know, as we, can, of course, can please. I choose to try to live according to what God desires, but Satan and God are off in the wings just waiting. And here is Cheryl, who has free will, and Satan is doing everything he can to keep you from believing in the true message of the gospel and the fact that we need salvation, that we are sinners, and that Jesus took care of all of that on the cross. And God is on the other side going, oh, Cheryl, please believe. But he is not going to usurp your free will. Yeah. And the bottom line is this, if you can just recognize, I know I'm not perfect. I believe I'm a sinner. And if Jesus did die on the cross for all of my sins, I'm going to put my faith and trust in him. I'm going to accept him into my life and I'm going to accept him as my Lord and savior. And I want to follow him. And you can change the eternal destiny of your soul at this very moment. And I have prayers on my website or Stephanie or Michelle yep. can help you with that. Um, it's very simple. I do feel it's, like I could I could do that with air quotes. Um, I think at this point it still feels in, inauthentic. So I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not ready to do something unless I'm in. You know, <laughs> as it should be. It right. should be a sincere right. thing. God doesn't want you to come to Him just trying to have fire insurance against hell, but you don't mean it fire because God God knows. Yeah, if you're I mean, sincere see, or not. that's how it feels right now. It feels like wait, trying to burn trying to yeah. make sure that I'm good and who cares about everyone else. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Cause well, God, that... you can't fool God. He's going to know if you have a sincere <laughs> no, and no, repentant no. heart or not. I had a gay friend of mine who has since come out of the life he's married and, and um, he, he lived in the life for a long time, but how God dealt with him was one night he was so high on cocaine and he had just, it was up in San Francisco in the meat tenderloin district. And they had, <laughs> he had left this party and they opened up the back of this 18 wheeler. And there was this massive orgy going on. And as my friend looked into the mirror, as he went to the restroom, a demon manifested itself. Mm. That's how God got his attention. And I knew of another guy who was being raped. He was drugged and raped by several guys. And in the middle of the rape uh, demons manifested as well. Mm. So, God works in different ways, but these guys came to know Christ as well. They got to see, oh, there is a demonic side and a spiritual side to all of this. Right. So God is going to work in every life differently. But however he brings us to our knees and brings us to the truth, the bottom line is that we have faith and step out on that faith and give our lives to Christ. That's right. Amen. Awesome, guys. Well, as we, as we get ready to wrap this up, um, is there anything anyone else wants to share? that maybe we didn't touch on.
I appreciate you ladies having the courage to have this conversation because it needs to be had. And I hope somebody will listen to this, even if just one person listens to it and it just changes their life and they come to know Christ and they can get out of their bondage. It's well worth it. So continue doing what you're doing. Thank you, George. Praise God. Amen. Do you want to do some conclusions? Like what we, yeah, well, I definitely want to remind our listeners where they can find George's book. And the title of the book again is from queer to Christ, my journey into the light. It can be found on Amazon or his website, georgecarneal.com, C-A-R-N-E-A-L. And also George has a YouTube channel and it's self-titled. So George Carneal on YouTube, you can find him there as well. And George, are there any resources or any, any additional resources you'd like to share with listeners? If they are struggling with uh, the LGBT or same-sex attraction, maybe just type in um, ex-gay sources. There are numerous ministries out there who are trying to help individuals. Uh, I think First Ministries is a good one, but there are so many I can't think of them off the top of my head. But if they go to my website, they will see an email address as well. They can always email me if they have more questions or if they're just confused. I do talk to a lot of Christian parents who have LGBT kids who are at a loss as to how to help them. And I'm, I'm happy to take the time to talk to you and, and give you some do's and don'ts. Because if you push them away and you don't handle this properly, you are pushing them into a life where they will have no godly influence. So it's important to handle this with kids' gloves and to love on them, no matter what they tell you. And the main thing is to allow them to know that no matter what they're going through, that they can come to you and talk to you. And the importance of this is that I recently was talking to some parents and told them it is important for the kids know that they can come to you, talk to you, and no matter what they say, that you don't react in a negative way. Just be calm and be thankful that they are opening up and sharing with you because now you understand what's going on in their head. But one of them admitted that their son who had been going through a very deep depression came to them that night after we had just had this conversation and confessed that he had been raped and he has really been struggling and they had to go obviously do some HIV tests and what have you. And he seems fine, but there are a lot of, people in that community who are hurting and they are broken and they're trying to find a way out. And I'm asking Christians and parents, especially to be patient. God loves them. He's patient with you. We're all hurting. We're all slow and we're all all on different journeys, but let's be kind to each other and tell them the truth and love. Hmm. Amen. Well, thank you, George. And thank you for the work that you're doing for people struggling uh, with this, both as individuals, as well as their families. I think that what you're doing is so valuable and thank thanks be to god that he's called you to do that i think i think we need more support like that in this community um yes and, and i'm thankful that and i'm sorry. thankful that cheryl endured this whole conversation uh, <laughs> yes i would agree with that thank hey you guys, i learned so much uh, thank you very much mm-hmm. yeah and i i think it shows people that whether you believe or not that we can all be reasonable and rational and respectful of each other. And I think that's beautiful, especially in today's world where we've got everybody on different sides of things and yelling at each other. And it doesn't really have to be that way, you know? Agreed. Well, that goes, that goes to my conclusion. That goes, (laughs) that goes into what I was going to say is my, my, my summary 
you know, it's, uh, you know, everyone talks about, it's all about love. Love is love. You know, I just uh, want everyone to know that as Christians, you know, we are the way we are because we do love. We love you and we don't want you, you know, people, we, we don't love the sin, but we love the sinner yes. and, uh, and that we want them to go to heaven. We, we're trying to get them not to go to hell. It's not like we hate. And that's the thing. It's like everybody wants, you know, it, it blames the Christians that was, you know, they make movies too about how hateful we are. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's, I think the way Christians, we have fear. I think it's, it, that's what it is too. It's maybe we're out of fear, you know, being angry or whatever, but it's, look, we, we, it's love. We love and, and we do it because of that. We, we, we are the way we are because we love people and we don't want them to go to hell. We want them to go to heaven. Right. And sometimes the most loving thing we could do to someone is say no, right? Like, why is it that um, love has to be tolerating things? And why does love have to be saying yes to things that are not healthy for us? You know, sometimes the most loving thing we can say to someone is no, like, no, this is not going to lead you down a path that's going to ultimately give you peace. Uh, No, this is not going to give you eternal life you know, that is the most loving thing. It takes courage. I mean, it's hard. I know for me, it's hard. I don't want to have to say the things people don't want to hear, but because I love the Lord, I will. And because I love that person, I will, even if they make, even if they think I'm an idiot or a fool or whatever, I don't care because you know, it's just, I, I think, I think people have to realize that Christians who are coming with the heart of Christ, we don't enjoy it either. You know, of course, everyone wants to, to sit, tell people what they want to hear. That's, that's human nature. We want to, people to like us. We want people to say, oh, that's great what you're saying. I mean, nobody wants to say the things no one wants to hear, but that's not love, right? It's just like a loving parent who says, no, you can't do that. It's, it's out of love that they say that. So thank you, Michelle, for reminding us that. Well, we and- say this in my boundary coaching, just because you say no and it makes someone angry, that does not mean you were supposed to say yes. Mm, right. I love that, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. And Stephanie, may I yeah. close with this or just say this? Yes. Um, to the individuals who are listening to this, if you're still waffling and kind of on the fence, God's word doesn't say a lot about heaven. I, we can't even imagine what it's like. But one of the things God does tell us is that it is a place of peace, eternal rest, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain or sorrow. And for those of you whose lives are just in complete shambles and you feel like there's just no hope, understand this is going to end. And if you'll just bank it all on Christ and have that faith, there is a place waiting for you where you're never going to have to struggle with this anymore. God's word speaks of hell much more than it does heaven, which confirms that the place exists. And it is a place where no one will ever tell you that they love you again. You will never hear children laughing. You will never hear rain. You'll never be able to enjoy good food. You'll never be around your loved ones. It is a place of eternal darkness and torment. It is not a place you want to go. Don't believe us. It is your job to search this information out for yourself. And if you have a sincere and, and a heart, and you go to God and ask him, please help me to understand if this is real, reveal it to me yep. and be open to what God brings into your life and how he works. You don't want to go there because once you do, there is no escape and it is eternal. Yep. This is very serious. Yes, it is very serious. 
-hmm. Thank you, George. <clears throat> it takes it takes courage. I mean, I hope people recognize that it takes courage for people like us to say this. You know, no one wants to hear that. I mean, it it, it takes boldness and courage um, yeah. to to speak the truth, and that's the truth. Yeah. Michelle, were you going to say something? Oh no, I was just going to. Um, no, I was just going to tell everybody where they could find us. Yeah, um, but before we we go there, can I just share two two resources? Um, I heard of a documentary. I'm I'm planning to watch it myself. I haven't seen it yet, but it's called "Here's My Heart." It's a documentary. Uh, it says a documentary of surrendering to freedom, and it follows the stories of twelve same-sex attracted men and women and how they were transformed by the love of Christ. So, for those who enjoyed hearing George's transformational story. Um, out of this life, there is a documentary that shares 12 stories of other individuals who have had a similar experience. So I just wanted to share that with everyone. And then the the last thing, um, in my research for this episode, I came across the Freedom March, which I never heard of. Um, and we, we all know of the Gay Pride Parade. Well, I guess this is like the opposite of the Gay Pride, Pride Parade, but it's the Freedom March where people... Uh, come together to celebrate their freedom out of this lifestyle. And I found that interesting because again, that was something I wasn't aware um, was happening. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that might want to look into that, I just thought I'd share that. And may I also add to that, Stephanie, if they can't find the documentary, you can go on YouTube and just type in ex-gay testimonies or oh, ex-lesbian testimonies or ex-transgender testimonies. And you will hear some heartbreaking stories, but also some wonderful hope at the end of those and what Christ has done in their lives and how they've been able to get out of that life, but also exposing the reality and the lies and the horror that they all, so many individuals have been through. Mm. I encourage you to listen to their stories and especially parents who are trying to understand the issue. Knowledge is power. And by listening to it, perhaps it will help you better be able to, to sit down with your child and talk to them and help them. Amen. Thank you, George. You're welcome. Thank you, ladies. And okay, Michelle, Joseph. yeah. If you want to tell our listeners where they can find us on Instagram. Sure. Um, we are un.believer underscore inbetweener on Instagram. Okay. Well, I just want to say thank you to everyone for, like we said, being so honest and vulnerable. And especially thank you, George, for taking your time and sharing your amazing story with us. And I mean, I, I just recently met you and I already feel a very strong connection to you. So I just think you're an amazing person and thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. you. I really appreciate you ladies really having the courage to have this conversation. And um, I hope we all have just learned a little something more today. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, George. I really appreciate your conviction. I, I really feel like I learned a lot, you know, being the one who's kind of on the other side of all this, I, I certainly learned a lot. So thank you. Well, as long as you took it in love and not condemnation. Absolutely. Not, okay, good. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So come to Jesus before I have to find you and help you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you're not. No. I'm just kidding. No. I'm not afraid of God anymore. I'm afraid of George. Yeah. <laughs> I do tell my friends that I'm like, because when they call me the church lady, you know, or are you calling to save my soul today? I'm like, yeah. And if you don't accept Jesus, I'm going to beat the love of Jesus in you. So you got a choice because I love them. I don't want them to die and go to hell. Oh, I love that. That's great. They have a good sense of humor about it. 
<laughs> it's great. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, guys. Bye.